Hello and welcome back to the Clown Hospital Podcast, the mental health podcast that is not afraid to admit that capitalism is the problem. I think I added an extra word in there somewhere, but it's fine. I am your host, Sadie, and I am here with my guests, Emily uh, of episode one fame and Jeff of episode four fame back here with me to discuss huh, let's call it alcoholism, nature or nurture. <laughs> um, but before that, do you guys have anything you want to say? Like, so, you know, I normally start off uh, this podcast with guests giving um, the audience a little bit uh, about themselves, anything that might be helpful to it, like explain the perspective that you're coming to uh, this episode with. So, and since you're coming back, we'll We'll, we'll just do some some quickies and I just realized that having two guests means I'm gonna have to like you know like call on people <laughs> um or yeah we're gonna have to figure out like you know raising hands or something but so let's start with Emily just because you're at the top of my screen um who the fuck are you and why should I give a shit about what you're saying oh I don't know oh no <laughs> Professionally, I am a genetic counselor. I have about six years of experience in the field of genetics, specifically related to psychiatric conditions and neurodevelopmental disorders. Personally, I have my own history of mental health conditions, specifically generalized anxiety disorder and depression, and a pretty substantial family history of those in addition to substance use disorders. So I think that's me in a nutshell. And Sadie and I go back to high school. So known her for quite a minute. Uh, like maybe 17 years. I don't know. I don't know how to do math. That's why I went into genetics and not math. <laughs> I mean, no, I just took a guess. It, it, I, I'm 30. I wasn't, I wasn't... So we've known each other. Yeah, like 16 years. 17 yeah, years. That's, yeah. Yeah. I just took a stab at it. It's, it's a long time. Um, yeah, I think 16 is yeah. probably more accurate. Jeff, who are you? Hi, everyone. I'm Jeff of episode four of fame, uh, <laughs> as mentioned. I'm 30 years old. I've been sober for about a year and a half, a little more than a year and a half now. Hell yeah. I have like, I have a personal history of like depression on and off medication and like n- definitely not diagnosed right by anybody. Um, but from what I can tell, a pretty strong family history of anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. So the substance abuse is clear. The other two, um, <laughs> I've had to think about. But yeah, that's that's like the things most relevant to the, to the topic today. Great. And then in those intros, you both really hit home like why I asked both of you to come on here. So we have Emily, who's got the professional and then also a bit of the personal and then we have Jeff, who has, who's got the personal, like, this topic actually originated as a talking point in Emily's episode, and then that we didn't get to, and then Jeff brought up family history in his episode, and I was like, oh, we could bring that all together, and I think that would be a really interesting episode. So, let's do it. So, I think, so the reason that this I was ever thinking about this was I I was listening to a recovery podcast and I also have been in recovery groups and in those spaces and or in those recordings of podcasts I've heard people say like oh well I've had it like 
on both sides of the family. So I was like cursed to like become an alcoholic or, or I also hear it like in my, in my group, I I'm in a women's group. So there's a lot of mothers and I, I hear often like, like them, but their kids, like, you know, me and their father are recovering addicts or not recovering addicts or what, or what have you. So like my kids kind of set up and I'm like, the question is like, well, is that actually genetics or is it like the environment likely created? And I feel like just from my, like taking psychology in high school, the answer is probably a little bit of both. But I, I, I think it's worth having that conversation. Cool. So the first thing I have here is do we believe alcoholism as well as other addictions? This is just, yeah, whatever. Runs in families because of genetics or because of environmental factors that carry on between generations. And like you... And I guess we'll start with talking about like the personal perspectives on that. Yeah, I think it's a really complicated <laughs> like topic to talk about because that's why I have an actual genetic counselor on it. Because okay. like substance use disorders. So I, I prefer to use that term as opposed to yeah. like alcoholism or addiction or anything. Like I think substance use disorder is a, a very all-encompassing uh, diagnosis that you can use in these cases. Individuals who have that condition, it's such a feedback loop where it's both, I think, a learned behavior or an observed behavior in the family and a biological predisposition. Because most of the time, people who have substance use disorder also have depression, anxiety, other types of psychiatric conditions. And it's a very much a chicken and egg conversation. You know, do do you have substance use disorder because you're trying to fix or suppress those other psychiatric diagnoses or vice versa? Because we know that, you know, drinking and doing drugs can exacerbate those features of those psychiatric conditions. So very much a feedback loop. But then if you also have a family history of those psychiatric conditions, more often than not, you're observing family members who are self-treating those conditions with certain behaviors, which is usually drinking, doing drugs, smoking, whatever it might be. So then it can become very complex when you think about, like I think about my own self, like in in my own family history, I'm clinically diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, clinical depression, and I have parents who have those same diagnoses. And my mom is someone who has turned to alcohol as a a way of self-treating those conditions. So as I got older, that became a very complicated relationship for me because it was like, is that the way that you should treat those things? No. But it became very much a much more nuanced relationship between those clinical diagnoses, those behaviors that a person might have. Um, So I'll pause there because I know Jeff might have some thoughts there, but that is just my like overall kind of view of those diagnoses. Yeah, I think real quick, you like you answered one of my big questions is like, like, what would it being genetically predisposed even mean? Like, I'm like, like, what, like, I'm like, what does that mean? But that makes a lot of sense to me that, yeah, that may be actually what's happening 
is there is a genetic predisposition to depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, and then that in turn leads to um, substance use. And I like I know personally like that like I feel like I want it be a like a substance user if it wasn't for my mental health stuff Mm -hmm. you know my and like when my mental health conditions uh escalated so did my substance use Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if I didn't have those things if I didn't have that pain to run from I wouldn't like it wouldn't even be appealing you know like like I remember, like, I did, like, drugs, like, you know, like, somewhat freshly out the hospital. So, like, when the antidepressants were, like, really working. And I was, like, the fuck is the point of this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it, it like, the the impact of it was, like, so, like, because it, it wasn't, quote, unquote, treating the problem. Uh, mm-hmm. So, the desire to run to it, like, from the problem to the substance was a lot less appealing and then the you know I got tolerant to the meds and <laughs> and I still struggle with maintaining my sobriety but I almost have a year um but anyway so Jeff what is your maybe like a little background on this topic specifically so kind of like in the most general way like I do agree that it, it has like it's a mix right of like genetic and then societal factors, upbringing, like that whole nurture element. But I have to wonder, like, I think there, there has to be a component of this that is like a predisposition towards addiction more generally and not just like an appearance with other factors. Because like, I sure, like, you know, in my alcoholism, like I was, I did drink because I had like feelings I didn't want to feel and like, I didn't want to be there. And like, it was all, also uses like a way to celebrate and like there's a lot of reasons people drink right yeah but there's also like kind of an innate desire like in an opposite like in opposition to what you kind of said uh sadie like i know that even if things are great for me and i don't have any kind of other issues going on i'm still going to want to do those things because mm-hmm. part of my brain's like yeah that's fucking great. Like, that is a great idea. That is what I, even when I was on depression medication and I know it's like long acting, right? Like it, it takes you, your body a while to like, well, like from what I understand yes. for most people, it t- takes your body a while to like, like weeks. To, to see an effect, right? Basically. And so in that way, it's kind of resistant to abuse. Mm-hmm. But I know personally, like once I kind of noticed that it was working, my first instinct was, great that's 10 let's see can we do 15 can we do 20 can I talk to my doctor can we do 20 milligrams Mm -hmm. like that's what I wanted even though like ostensibly things are fine so that's kind of where I land on the nature nurture side of things personally like I do have do have like a family history both with like my dad and extended family and I've kind of seen like the the nurture as like elements in kind of in play as well Um, when my dad and my uncle immigrated here, like that was a big part of the culture of being in America, like in the the early eighties, you know, it's like you drank, you Mm -hmm. smoked. And like in India at the time, like lots of people didn't smoke. Um, and my parents are actually from a dry state. So like there was, there was no drinking, Mm -hmm. um, 
until they Damn, you just added yourself as not a white guy. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I hey, think I it's mean, fine. Jeff There's... could be short for something. Sorry, Jeff. Also, like, <laughs> there are a lot of people from India, so I think we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a couple. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's, it's wild. So, like, I, I definitely, through, like, stories, but also, like, direct observation, I can kind of see the the continuum of the nurture side where like some family members definitely just bought into that American culture. Like let's watch football and get wasted. And it was like, they were problem drinkers, but definitely not like addicts or alcoholics, you know, in the way that like I am, I feel. Um, But then I do have family members that became alcoholics and like got treatment and are sober. And then other family members that like probably like they will, the language is different, right? So they wouldn't say like, I'm an alcoholic, but like they kind of self-helped their way out like over the course of 20 years. So I don't know, I, there's a lot of different, like it's kind of like you said, um, Emily, there's like so many intertwining mm-hmm. layers. It's like, where to start? Where do we end? It's, yeah, I don't And know. I feel like like certain parts of it, like, timeline wise we're sexy at different parts of time in our culture so like when my mom was a kid so my mom was born in 61 so her parents were born in the 40s and like her upbringing like in the 60s like having these like ornate cocktail parties and all that was like so shark I I use the term sexy to be like it was like so culturally accepted that's what you did like you had people over to your house and you got drunk and you like smoked a bunch of cigarettes and so my mom like grew up in that culture where that's what you did on a Friday and Saturday night is your parents had a bunch of people over they got blitzed (laughs) and my mom was like okay that's like what it means to be an adult and then that Mm. kind of translated down the line and then I don't know about you guys but like when I was in college like smoking like like got popular again for like a hot second where I was like oh I'm really stressed I'm gonna like smoke a cigarette and like I fell into that line of like, okay, this is just like a trend. Like this is what's popular at this point in time. And so I think we're not only victims of our like biology and our upbringing, but also what these seeming trends seem to be. Like there's always on social media, like, oh, this is the hot new cocktail, or this is what you should order. Like when you like it's rose season or whatever. And that just perpetuates these like taboos and stigmas and makes it harder for those of us who have a complex relationship with addiction and all of that. Like it just becomes like popular and cool to be like, oh, I'm going to be that girl who orders like a rosé at the bar because it's summer. (laughs) So I feel like in ad- like in addition to the complexity of our biology our upbringing and then our culture in our social media just perpetuates all of this addiction and like an addiction is so much more than just like booze and smoking it's like yes well aware. Like, it's a lifestyle and <laughs> it's like it, self-harm yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. drugs like, 
Yeah. Yeah. Sex. Yeah. And my old job, like they'd be like, Sadie, what what like what's your addiction? And I like I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't telling them any of that. <laughs> they'd always be like, Sadie's a sex addict. But it's I I mean, I feel that though. Like I think addictive personality disorder, like addictive personality is just a diagnosis. And what you're addicted to can be so variable between each person, but you still have addictive personality. Like I am, this is cutting close. I am very obsessed with this particular game on my phone called Best Fiends. And I will spend- I've heard podcast ads for that one. (laughs) Like I will spend money on it. And I know- You just added yourself out as a- a white woman because you play a pod a, a cell phone game that's advertised on podcasts yes <laughs> it me <laughs> but, like that addictive nature of that person of my personality like really hones in on those types of opportunities where it's like yep I will spend ten dollars to get those additional points or that additional hit or that like whatever it might be And so I will never judge someone for saying, like, I have XYZ addiction. Like, we're all in the same space. Like, we're all in the same sphere of we're hitting the pleasure center of our brains every single time, whether it be a bump of cocaine or a shot at the bar or buying some coins in your app on your phone. Like, it's all the same space. And we shouldn't judge each other for falling into that sphere. I'm sorry, the whole time that, like, I I totally agree with, first of all, like, not only is it, like, a cultural, they're a cultural element, like, on a broader timescale, but even, like, in your specific life, there's things Mm -hmm. as a child that you're, like, society says you should want, but you also have to limit, you know, whether it's, like, cookies when you're a kid, Mm -hmm. uh, like, alcohol as an adult, like, Mm -hmm. I was the kid. Who, cigarettes as a teen who like woke up <laughs> in the middle of the night like crawled up on the counter and ate like handfuls of cookies <laughs> and then when my mom was like where they I go i love home? you i love you so much well, here's the thing my mom didn't mind she's like you can have as many cookies as you want but why are you sneaking them in the middle of the night and i'm like i don't know because you thrill like the you chase them. <laughs> yeah, well it turned and then it, that turns to other things when you're a teenager you know like you said and then as an adult, like the world's your oyster. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. First of all, I want to say I'm the woman at the bar who's cool because she orders a virgin Shirley Temple. And oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just kidding. I haven't been to a bar in several years. But, but if I was at a bar, Shirley Temples are good. <laughs> <laughs> I also just think it's funny to refer to it as a virgin Shirley Temple. <laughs> A virgin child actress. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's not ex- just, sorry. It's <laughs> just a drink that's a, that's normally when you order it does not have alcohol in it, and if you want alcohol in it, you have to specify that it's dirty. Yeah. But also, yeah, I like because one thing that's like in this concept of like and like you know just like having this innate draw to compulsive behavior is really interesting and also like I think of it in the sense of you know pretty common in like addiction treatment 
is like cross addictions is you start recovering from one thing and then you just leap to the next thing like you know i i struggled with with some some substances and i still struggle with self-harm and i also struggle with shopping uh in the last episode i had an epiphany (laughs) that maybe i'm a love addict like you know where there is that draw and then like you know thinking of that perspective it's like oh that is a thing that probably has been happening the entire life and mm-hmm. is yeah and it's interesting that like now that I think about it and this like what you're saying like you know you could put I'm an addict of anything and I will like respect that and all that and that is interesting because I think what word you put in that blank is going to have a big impact on the response to it, not only from individuals, but like treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a big difference between how seriously someone may take a alcohol addiction. And even that, that I think how seriously that is considered or how that is responded to is cultural too. Like some will find like heavy drinking that's that's just part of our culture and others mm-hmm. will take that very seriously but it's like if you say like I'm addicted to like shopping or like Fortnite, <laughs> that might be taken a little less seriously and like I don't know where the fuck do you go for like Fortnite addiction is that like I, I feel like I've heard I've, I've heard of places that treat like video game like compulsive like you know, behavior like that, like playing video games, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know where, I don't know if it's true. Yeah, I'm sure they I exist. remember reading it. Yeah, I'm sure they exist. And I know my first, my first inpatient uh, hospitalization was a young adult uh, placement. And I know one of the things that they advertise is treating as gaming addiction. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting. Also, I want to say it is really exciting to have multiple guests on and just like see bounce, like see us all bounce off each other. <laughs> and like I say one thing, and Jeff's like, I, "But here's my perspective that's a little bit different." I think that no, I think is really great. is really exciting. Yeah. Cool. Um, cool. So the next point I have, I wrote these so long ago that I couldn't even tell you what I was I thinking know. when I was writing them. <laughs> But next is like personal observations of problematic behaviors in families. And I, I think we've covered that a little bit. I think, I mean, and if you guys have more of that you want to say on it, go ahead. But it's just, it's interesting for me because my, my extended family all drinks. And as far as I know, not much more than that. There are some cousins that I would bet large sums of money on that they, that they have at least have in the past smoked weed but um I don't know that for a fact like I don't know that much but but in my immediate family <laughs> like alcohol was never around mm. my mom ex- like extremely the other way and it's not super clear to me why it might be family I, I have some hints that it's family history stuff and like it is it, it is like when I hear, like, just, like, on the point of, like, like, the cultural stuff is, like, when I hear people, like, even, like, drinking with their parents, my mind just explodes. <laughs> because I'm, like, 
that makes no sense to me because when I was born, my mom and my dad quit drinking. Mm. Um, I like alcohol was not in my house for a long period of time until my dad was unemployed and got really into cooking mm. um, and used it for cooking. Um, and then 20, like two year old me when I was home, uh, snuck a little bit of that. Uh, I might have to delete <laughs> that part. Um, but um, like, it's just interesting that it was so cut off from my world. And I was telling like, Jeff, before this, like, is that, or like, I told him part of this is like, even though I was so cut off from it, like, I, I did not drink or smoke as a teen. Um, and part of it was that it just felt so inaccessible to me. Mm-hmm. I felt like my mom had such a strong reaction to, like, just the concept of drinking that I just felt like I'd be busted and, like, like immediately... Um, for drinking or smoking weed and it just felt inaccessible and I think eventually I ended up developing like a straight edge attitude Mm -hmm. towards it but like as soon as like I had access I started experimenting with that as a lot of people do when I like go to college um and like as I was Jeff like I remember sometime when I was a teen trying to huff Axe body spray (laughs) to get (laughs) so because it's like it's like no matter like you can make it as inaccessible yep. as possible and like you'll find it away. Like, you know, how many news stories are there every few years of teens just finding some random shit and getting high off of it and then those teens die or some yep. shit. Yep. And sometimes <laughs> it's true, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's a combination of of, of things. Like, I don't think Jankum was ever a thing. If you don't know, Jankum is shitting into a bottle, putting a balloon on top of that bottle, putting it in the sun so it ferments, and then you huff the gas from the balloon. I don't (laughs) think anyone has ever done that. Um, But Okay, I I thought that was something different. Equally disgusting, but different. (laughs) What's the other one? Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I thought, like I, I thought it also had to do something to do with like semen. <laughs> I am not familiar with the jank like, cum, but you know. No, I don't. Know. <laughs> that might have been like, yeah, I don't know. Is something like I don't remember the the exact details. I remember thinking that it had something to do with semen and it was very graphic. Oh, no, interesting no, no, no. but yeah it's like just like random plants and like whatever like yeah whatever like teens or like a, a wide swath of teens just want to get high yeah and i don't know i couldn't tell you like if they're running away from something if they just have this like compulsion like there or like there's even a thrill of just like the like just doing something you're not you, you know you're not supposed to do or what like I don't I couldn't tell you what it is but it is interesting that like you you just like kind of find a way and like even as a child you're like sneaking like a fucking ninja to get a bunch of cookies like I I I do I definitely feel like it's it's exactly what you just said like it finds a way 
like it, it feels a little bit like a pressure cooker situation like mm-hmm. uh, and th- this goes up to like um like when I was a kid it was like yeah cookies and shit yeah but like I even like used to do weird stuff like uh my mom would pack cookies for snack right when I was in like kindergarten or whatever I would tell the kids next to me that it was like the cookies were beer <laughs> and that's obviously like a nurture thing like I saw my dad drinking yeah. and like that kind of, I was like oh yeah let's, but like as I grew up and like my dad's drinking had negative effects in my family, mm-hmm. um, I, like our relationship grew really strained. And I, as, you know, as a teenager, as a young adult, I swore up and down, I'm like, I'm never going to drink. I am never going to become like my dad. Like, oh, I learned it from you, dad. Like literally though, mm-hmm. like I, ooh, the whole, the whole bit, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, I got my first taste and then all of that, it's like, it never happened. Yeah. Doesn't matter, you know? And that's like pretty much right off the bat, like all that history just disappeared. And that's so interesting to me because in my family, so the first, like, like, so my dad passed away when I was 19. And up until that point, I had hardly ever seen my mom drink because my dad had diabetes. So like he could not drink because of his condition. So I didn't really know my mom like in that space. Like I did not know what it was like for her to be a drinker or anything. But she had said to me before I went to college, please be careful if people offer you drugs Like if people offer you weed or cocaine or anything, just take a beat. And I didn't know what that meant because I didn't know her as a person who had an addictive personality. So like she had said that to me and I was like, oh, this is just my mom being like, be careful. Being a mom. Like like, don't take dirty drugs from somebody or whatever. And so I, I carried that into college and I was like, okay, like if somebody offers me drugs, like I will say no, but if someone offers me alcohol, like I had Mm. never been presented with that as being like a no, it was just something that wasn't super present in my family history up until that point after my dad died. Yes, it became one, (laughs) but But I think that's a really interesting point of genetics in this whole conversation is my mother very apparently has like a genetic addiction to certain substances. And she had her own history of addiction to nicotine, cocaine, amphetamines, and then said, it's going to stop here. And I want to advise my daughter that she should try to stay away as best she can. She didn't tell me the story of any of that. She just said, like, don't do drugs. And I was like, cool, won't do drugs. (laughs) But now I like more understand like the genetic component of all of that for her that If she had had, you know, if our genetic testing was perfect and if she had had genetic testing that showed she was a carrier 
for, you know, an increased risk of being predisposed to being addicted to certain substances that she passed on to her daughter. And that's why she told me those things. And then I could be better prepared to say like, okay, I'm at this party where people are like blowing lines in the bathroom. No, I'm not going to try that because I know for myself that my biology might cling to that and be like, oh, cocaine is amazing. Like we should do that. (laughs) And so my mom didn't know that part of biology. She just said, please be careful. Like, don't like I had a problem and I don't want you to have a problem. And so I think, so Sadie, you had put in our like episode notes before this, like what could potentially be the role of knowing a genetic diagnosis? I think that could be it. Like if you know that you yourself have this genetic predisposition to having yourself in a child with a predisposition to addiction, I would not recommend that my child blow some lines or smoke some cigs. <laughs> like I would be like, you should be careful. Like those things might take hold of your life. Or if they do stumble upon those things, because I did in my college years, you're like, okay, this is your biology. And we need to take a step back and say, this is not you being obstinate. This is not you being, you know, a difficult human being. This is your biology. Like you were predisposed to being more addicted to those things. And hopefully at some point in our future, there might be treatments to be like, let's pull you back from those particular substances that you're addicted to. So again, that's my two cents. Well, yeah. So (laughs) going back a little bit, I have things to say for like to things both of you have said is one, Jeff, what you said is interesting about how like stuff with your dad, like you actually like had maybe like the nurture side a push towards not drinking and then the nature or whatever it is took over like that is so fascinating to me that even so there's definitely points in both sides yeah yeah where like yeah like you saw that behavior you were impacted by that behavior people you cared about were impacted by behavior and and you had an emotional response to it and then as soon as that that sweet sweet poison hit your lips it was all over like that is so fascinating to me and then emily like yeah like that like i i agree with you and all like with that and like no matter like what i think if a parent is saying something like that to a child like you know because my mom was always very much and like against alcohol like very very adamant like my entire life to this day um but I never understood why and like when I asked her 
um, a couple of years ago. Her answers didn't really make much sense. She was like, it's expensive. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's expensive. <laughs> like, I buy alcohol for these 20-year-olds. They give me a few bucks. And then I can buy two Four Locos and just be gone. <laughs> like, what do you mean it's expensive? That's bullshit. And then even she was like, actually, no, like, you can't get cheap alcohol. It's like, yeah. But any like, is, like, I think this goes for anything. Like, you know, here's my, like, p- parenting tidbit or even, like, management tidbit or whatever, it, or, like, relationship tidbit is if you're going to tell someone not to do something or even to do something please for the love of god if you want them to take you seriously like tell them why Mm -hmm. because i said so means nothing Mm -hmm. it mean it is meaningless to me whatever i you know i very much i'm a person who wants to do like the right thing or wants to do what feel like or like otherwise do what feels comfortable or feels natural to me and like if you tell me to do something that is against my values without any explanation, I'm not going to do it. Or if you're going to tell me that's something that's not integrated into my values, like drinking, um, but not tell me why, then why, why the fuck, like, why would I listen? But if you tell me, like, oh, like when I was your age, like, I tried like alcohol, I tried cocaine and you know, it it really got a life of its own. And it took me a few years to like bounce back from that. And I don't want that for you. Like that makes sense. Like I know plenty of people who have never had more than a sip of alcohol in their life because one or both of their parents were alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I know that my risk for developing an issue is 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 high so i just avoid it um because i don't want to deal like i don't want to create a problem that i will later have to solve um i will i will never forget sorry to interject but my i was mom, done my mom has always talked about how when she was in college she would call her mother and she could hear she tells me this like to this day she could hear her mom's ice in the glass as she sipped on the phone. And my mom like clings to that. And she's like, yeah, I can like hear grandma's ice in the glass. Like she had a problem. And then I hear that and think about my mom's own situation. And I hear the ice in her glass when I'm on the phone with And so I think it's just extremely interesting that there is this level of introspection. There is this level of our family members saying like, yeah, that was a little bit out of the ordinary or not even out of the ordinary. It made sense in the context of our family history. And I just chalked that up as being normal. And then If our parents could look at any of us and say, oh, Emily, you threw up at your graduation ceremony because you were so hungover, my parents would be like, yeah, fine. (laughs) You were just happy. My mom would literally kill me. (laughs) 
my mom would be like, right, you were celebrating the night before. It's like, no, mom. Like, I was celebrating too much the night before. So My mom... My mom said this to my ex recently, and I don't know if she believes it's true or not, but she said to my ex when we were still dating, Sadie had one beer when she was 21 years old, didn't <laughs> like it, and never had a drink again. Never and- again. She never had any Four Locos. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I was, it's like, girl, you've obviously never seen my Facebook page for because for years, Half my Facebook statuses are about Four Loco. Mm-hmm. And they're still about Four Loco and you don't even drink. <laughs> I, I haven't had a drink in almost two years. I know. <laughs> and um and my mom has even and like any post that any like any post that anyone has posted on my wall basically has been like a four loco meme. Um <laughs> and I just want to say for everyone, uh like no more for loco memes okay. from now on only martinelli nelly's sparkling apple cider memes <laughs> only yes. only um love a good apple cider meme. we we do well also i mean that that's my that's my pro tip for not drinking is finding yeah. fun things to drink otherwise especially if you're around other people who are drinking just drink a um, seltzer. that's why i'm drinking in a wine glass yeah. just drink a seltzer i want to get into mocktails but it's just so much work um yeah you just gotta get some good LaCroix some good LaCroix flavors good yeah but it's like it's like mom you've literally seen me drunk because like Emily like our English class used to get together and like for a few years it was a sleepover but then like for a year or two we met at a bar and like my mom knew I was going to a bar I came home I was drunk. I was acting drunk. She said, Sadie, you're, you're like silly when you're drunk. And then years later, it's like, City had one beer. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't. That one time. That one time you on had one her, beer. On her 21st birthday. <laughs> and that's it. It's like, and that's not true. I had a couple for that. Um, <laughs> Emily, you may remember uh, a sleepover party where I drank uh, too much whiskey a lot of whiskey threw up a lot of chocolate lot. on myself yeah. at five in the morning my yeah. mom picked me up from yep. Kristen's house which luckily was around the corner I think um, it helped clean you up a little bit you definitely did yeah but um, any, anyway definitely. yeah I, I feel like we said a lot I'm sure Jeff has stuff to say on that so the I, I had cut like a, a mini mini epiphany um so when it comes to kids right um there's been a lot of research that like most kids will pick up like implicit instruction right like if you show a kid um how something works right they will implicitly understand oh if i do this then that will happen that's how this thing works right um for example a lot of kids will implicitly pick up that to create a rhyme, you just have to change the first letter or the first sound in a word, right? You know, bat, cat, hat, they just kind of figure that out. But for a lot of other students, they struggle and they need what's called direct instruction. Mm -hmm. Like you need to tell the kid, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is what I want you to learn out of this activity. 
and then explicitly tell them how to do the steps and then like if they get stuck kind of guide them like Mm -hmm. why does this step work why is it important to the whole thing functioning right like how do I take the first letter out of a word how why does that even a thing that I can do like all of those little pieces have to be directly explained I think we are the friends (laughs) who are struggling with that like implicit like you know, or the, the messages we got from that like mm-hmm. implicit instruction, you know, like the things that we grew up around seeing or like whatever, you know, from society or from our experiences, um, we got the wrong message or we just didn't get the message. And so I'm like, think, I don't have children, right? But I'm thinking about like a potential child mm-hmm. and kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier, Emily, is like, I think you're right. I think knowledge is key. I think that if I had known more, like what I know now about addiction and recovery and like family history, and had I been able to see that with like clearer open eyes, Mm -hmm. I think I, I think I still would have made bad choices knowing what I know about like myself, but I think I (laughs) would have been able to, I think I would have been able to make bad choices, especially when they're young. That's like, that is what growing up is to to be more like explicit. I guess myself is like, I think if I could tell myself that, or if my dad had told me a little bit about this, I would have been like, fuck you, dad. Like, (laughs) I would have told my older, like from the future me, like, "Mm, you don't know who I am. Me. Um, Like I still, I think I still would have developed addictions. Right but I would have been able to stop it. I would have been able to say, stop and say like, or have other people in my life and say, stop. Remember when you came mm-hmm. f- from the future to tell yourself <laughs> that this is going to happen? It's happening. Like now, you know? Um, yeah. So when I was thinking about our conversation, like earlier today, I was looking at CD's like questions that she was going to propose. I was thinking about like, Sadie, I think you put a question in the document, like, what would it mean to know that this is genetic? And I was trying to put myself in that space as both a professional, like in the world of genetic testing and genetic counseling, and then also as a personal patient who has those struggles and has that family history. And I was brought back to a conversation I had with my mom before I went to college. So I did not touch alcohol until I went to college. Like it was like my first week of college that I first started drinking and we went on that bumpy road (laughs) with alcohol. But before that point, so both of my parents were cigarette smokers, like addicted to bad to nicotine and tobacco and before I went to college my mom said to me she was like if you're ever tempted by other recreational drugs or nicotine just take a second to think and we had never had any genetic testing we had never had any conversations about potential like hereditary like inherited causes of substance abuse But she had said, she's like, just be cautious. Like if someone is offering you a bump of cocaine or something, 
And I really kept that in mind for some reason. I was just like, okay, like my mom is telling me to be cautious. And so in preparing for this podcast today, I was like, what if genetic testing had told me that if I had done a bump of cocaine or taken a, you know, some level of amphetamines of the other variety, that that was a predisposing factor for me for addiction or whatever. What would I do with that information? Or if I knew that my body could not process nicotine as well as someone else, what would I do with that information? Like what if future Jeff came to young Jeff in like a lab coat and like, and was like, cause it's like, yeah, like I think that like what that says is like, like authority like like because like jeff you said it like fuck you dad like but like but when and kind of my my earlier point of the why is like if you can back your why up with science yeah and we we we've seen over and over again in this pandemic that that doesn't always convince people Mm -hmm. but but like that's like one more tick in the box yeah that maybe that that person will take that information um, more seriously um, yeah. with two grains of salt rather than one. Um, that's a new saying I made up, I guess. Um, also, it's like like fun, it's like Jeff when you were saying like to, like talking about the implicit instruction and all that stuff. Like some kids, you have to like show the steps. Like in my head, I just like. I could see you with the kid and being like, well, the first step is admitting that you're powerless over alcohol. (laughs) So this, this really does come full full circle here. So I, I, I definitely think even if future Jeff had shown up in the lab coat with Emily and like with the data and like future Jeff was was maybe like in freshman year of college. (laughs) So like had the, the capacity to understand the things that were being presented. I still think that Jeff would have like gotten addicted to something if he wasn't already. And I think it's exactly what you're talking about, Sadie, is that like at that point, and that's like a question of like practice, like when would you tell your child or how would you tell your child? Mm -hmm. But there's this other piece too, is like now that they have this information, yeah, little Jeff would not know, like your, your mom told you to be careful. Little Jeff doesn't know what that means. How do I be careful with a bump of cocaine? Does that mean one is okay? Is two okay? Like, where's the line? Is it like, do one every week? Yeah. If is it, it like one if every I 12 hours? It, like what? I, I wouldn't I know a, how to yeah. do any If I that. pause a second and make the same decision, like, yeah. is that okay? <laughs> right, exactly. So like, there's this whole other piece Mm-hmm. But like, I think having the information is good, right? But like, I had that information, kind of like I had seen my yeah. dad go through it. Mm-hmm. That wasn't enough. I think you also need to pass on the other pieces. Like, here's mm-hmm. how I stopped. Here are the things that mm-hmm. I learned. Yep. Like, yep. you need to pass that all on. Otherwise, I'm back at square one. And that's why I think like genetic testing could become really helpful in this space of 
taking care of individuals with this level or this type of addiction or not even addiction, just like a predilection to being more obsessed with certain, you know, substances because I myself, like, so my mother and father were both smokers their entire lives. When I got to college and smoked my first cigarette, I was like, yes, like, I love this. Like, this is amazing. I feel you. I was like, well, not with cigarettes. I was like, damn, I think I should have been born a horse, not a fucking... I'm not a man. I'm not a woman trapped in a man's body. I'm a I'm a horse trapped in a man's body. Damn, this shit rocks. <laughs> yeah, and so I think the like the world of genetic testing in this space has like many different layers of utility. I think it could help people understand what am I predisposed to? Like, what should I try to avoid in my own family? I know that like amphetamines and speed is not something I should try based on anecdotal experience of my other family members. But I also know that I have many family members addicted to nicotine. So there's probably some sort of genetic or biological explanation as to why do we like really hold on to nicotine like that is very easy for us to be addicted to but I think the problem again when I was thinking about our conversation earlier today thinking about like the utility of genetic testing you don't want it to become too paternalistic Like, you don't want to tell a person, like, here, don't ever do cocaine. Don't ever smoke a cigarette. Because attic brain is like, I'll show you. Yeah, I'm going to do all those things (laughs) and, like, show you that I'll be okay. But I think it might have some utility in treatment. That if you have a person sitting in front of you who cannot separate themselves from a particular substance. I mean, for myself personally, if someone said to me, the reason why alcohol is something that you lean on is because of this particular genetic factor that has been exacerbated by people in your family. For me, that would be like, okay, like that makes sense. Like I can, I can chalk that up to my family history and biology and know that when I have children, that's something that I should let them know about that. If you're going to drink, be careful, you know, don't jump into the keg, (laughs) just like be cautious with that relationship with that particular substance and you might also have some addictive tendencies to other things that you might want to be on lookout for. I don't know, Jeff, if that speaks to you or Sadie, but that's kind of my perspective. Son, if you're jacking off four times a day, please let me know immediately. Um, But (laughs) anyway, but like, well, like I was thinking about, I don't know, like what Jeff was saying about like teaching 
like if you're gonna give that information and like you know like how do we make this information like stick or like to be taken seriously or whatever it just makes me think about makes it, it reminds me of dare dare and how like the whole thing was just like Blah. don't do it Blah. just like just yeah. don't do it and how like harmful that is yeah. and how like actually like and i like you know the obvious response to like any harm reduction sort of thing is you're encouraging people to do drugs mm-hmm. and to that i say hell yeah i am as long as it's like as safe as they could possibly do it for sure and part of that is giving them all the information not not and by all the information i don't mean like the scared straight bullshit i mean like well this is what recovery looks like because you know like one thing that like comes up in my recovery meetings sometimes is like the shit we talk about is good for everyone (laughs) yeah 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 because like like for me like what are the things that like are recovery like for my recovery like that like keep my recovery in check it's like community with people who care about me and hold me accountable that's fucking good for everyone it is finding ways to make my life like fulfilling and outside the community like that's like hobbies that's work that is meaningful for me like all that stuff is good for everyone so presenting the information of like man like imagine telling a bunch of 12 year olds who are about to try drugs in a 12 like in a few years all right like we know that you're fucking a teenager you're gonna do some shit you're gonna find some plant with seeds that make you like foam out of your mouth when you get addicted to the foamy mouth seeds here 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 are the 12 step programs in the area here is how to get to a detox program here is the 12 step alternatives in the area mm-hmm. like smart recovery like dharma recovery whatever like mm-hmm. Like, here are, like, community resources. Like, here are the hours of the place where, like, here's a park where you can play basketball. Whatever the fuck, like, like, imagine giving the people who will need that information act just giving it to them. And also, like, taking away the stigma that drinking is acceptable in our society, in our culture, and that it's, like, healthy and okay. Take that away. Like, drinking is a drug. Like, alcohol Mm -hmm. is a drug. And those of us who are addicted to it, we are addicts of a drug. Like, we need it to get by or need it to sleep or whatever. But for some reason, and I I truly think it stems from like the roaring 20s where like bake like making bathtub gin was like cool and sexy. And then you had like people coming in your house and being like, oh cool, like we're gonna drink and it's like clandestine and whatever. But that is so much more accepted than someone growing weed in their garage 
but alcohol is one of the leading killers of people in our culture. Like it's bad for you. And I say that as someone addicted to that substance, like I know it's bad for me, but I also know that if I said to my mom, oh, I'm growing weed in my garage versus, oh, I'm like brewing moonshine in my bathtub, she'd be like, oh, the weed's the problem. And I just don't know how we got here. I I don't, I don't know. I honestly think that, like, on the one hand, I, I agree that, like, yeah, it shouldn't be, like, the drinking to excess, right, shouldn't be, like, a cultural norm, right? I shouldn't, it's not healthy to, like, black out, right? You know, that's not, no. Uh, and that's, again, as someone who has repeatedly blacked out, like, repeatedly over and over, you know, mm-hmm. I do think that, but I think, on the other hand, normalizing it to the extent of like talking about it more. Kind of like you said, you don't want it to be a paternalistic thing, but you def, I definitely do think like having it out there more in just the informational sense would help. And like you said, not in a dare way, not like here, fill out this form, take this genetic test. Congratulations. If you have any alcohol, you will become an addict. Like you will die in a gutter face down like Edgar. (laughs) Like that's not how that works. Yeah, I mean, because the goal, the goal isn't to. I think with this, like, the goal isn't to like end addiction because it won't happen, or like have no more addicts because that sounds like a horrific eugenic statement. (laughs) It's that okay when people do this stuff whether it's alcohol and any other drug how do how do we do it safely how do they do it safely and when if and when they want to stop how will they stop and how will they access that like as a if i were just like a random parent right like maybe like you would get a test right like hey it came back that you have like genetic predisposition towards this and then you'd think like, oh, that makes sense. Like, now that I think about it, I have these cousins, X, Y, Z that, you know, and then, but then like you said, Sadie, there's like a resource, like there's a place you can go that says like, here's how to talk to your child. Like, here's when you might want to talk to your child. Here's also, how to tell them how, like, how to when talk to this, your parents, how to talk like to if your you're, parents. Like if you're a teen, imagine being a teen and like getting addicted to a drug and then having to tell your parents like and asking for help like i know you know and let's listen to this podcast my parents don't know shit about my substance use and like and i'm 30 yeah yeah if i had a substance use as a teen i'd be dead because i would be so afraid to tell them Mm -hmm. anyway they're like i like interjected a sale it just brought that up for me yeah no no for sure like I think the utility potentially so I was doing a bunch of research this morning about like what does the field of genetic testing look like in this space of medicine and there are a lot of studies being done to say like these are the particular genetic markers to say that this person can't metabolize 
alcohol the same way or can't metabolize cocaine the same way or might have more addictive tendencies. And so I know you had put in the document before our session today, like, where can we go from here? And I think that might be a really exciting area of genetic testing because, I mean, I I don't particularly want to have kids at this point in my life, but neither. if I was to have kids and could say to them that, you know, you're predisposed to having an addiction to cocaine or alcohol or something, please be careful. Or you're predisposed to, you know, XYZ, other health condition. I think that could be helpful for families to say, you know, do what you want to do, but your reaction might be different from your peers or your friends. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you are worse than them. It just means that your biology is different. And I think that could be the positive space that genetic testing could occupy with all of this. Um, yeah, for sure. And I, th- I think like, I agree that the whole like it's geared towards the future, right? Like maybe not necessarily us, but like with genetic testing. And I think also with like that recovery, like information component, like yeah, it could be very useful for like mm-hmm. your kids or like, you know, since none of us have kids, like, you know, other children or like, fr- you know, friends, family, other people who are in the situation who have kids. Like there's a lot of like space for, for work to be done from there. I definitely agree on that. Or like treatment too. Like if we can determine that there are ways, like if someone like John Doe has a particular error in their genetic metabolism, is there a way that we can offer them different medication or treatment or something to help them overcome that addiction? Is there just something that is, again, just like bringing it back to, it's just our biology. It's not something that we're, we're not trying to be these people. (laughs) We're not trying to be addicts. Like none of us were born and being like, hey, gonna be an alcoholic. (laughs) Born with like a rolled up dollar bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like a (laughs) joint in their mouth. Like, no, we didn't do that. But if there was a way, because I- Damn, how cool would that baby look? A little baby smoking a blood that would be cool as shit. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, you know, just being like the proponent for my profession, I think there are a lot of people (laughs) who say like, genetic testing can enter like the the eugenic space and can yes. be <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did that com- on episode one. <laughs> yeah, you did. It can get very ethically complicated. <laughs> yeah. But I think this is an area of genetics that could be extremely beneficial to people I to mean- know that my body can't metabolize certain compounds the same way that yours can. And so I should not do cocaine. (laughs) Like I, 
it will be bad for me. But again, enters that paternalistic space where is that too much information for a person to know? Should they? I think, well, a thing I say over and over again is you can't solve a problem if you don't know what the fuck the problem is. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's part of the whole, like the, the connection I made with like the direct and like implicit instruction. I think for us, you have to know, like if you, if it's like in a fuzzy, maybe like I could have a predisposition that is just opening the door to convince myself that I don't and to engage in that behavior more. Mm -hmm. Like I think, and I'm kind of in the same boat where like, I don't want to tell people what to do, Mm -hmm. right? I don't want to say that if you do these four things that worked for me in my recovery, you know, and you teach them to your kids and you do it, everything will be fine, right? Like you got to live your life Mm -hmm. um, the way that you want and the way that you think is best and according Mm -hmm. to your values. And maybe there's better ways and different ways to like recover that are right for you. And I'm not, I'm certainly not the best at it, but like no, more information is only better. I think yeah. the question is just, yes. When, how, Yep. right? You, like, yeah. Like if you tell someone how you do it, like, you know, that might only go so far, but if, but if, they talk to you, they talk to me, they talk to Emily, they talk to their uncle, they talk to freaking, I don't know, whoever, like, you're getting, like, yeah, like, there, um, the more information, the better, like, because if you don't know the problem, you can't solve it, but if you don't, kind of like, Jeff, what you're saying before, like, if they told me to be careful, I wouldn't have known what that means, yeah, being informed of what that means and having various perspectives so you can pick out which makes sense for you. Like, that's what it is, baby. Cause there is no golden ticket. Like you just gotta, but there's like a golden collage of shit. Yeah. And <laughs> you need to like get those magazines mm-hmm. and maybe Jeff has a picture or I have a, a cool quote that works in your mm-hmm. collage or whatever. Like that's what it is. I mean, and that's why I love recovery groups and being in two recovery groups because I get so much perspective um, from people with the same problem as me, with different problems with me, like as me, whatever. It's cool. And unless you guys have anything else to say, it might be about time to wrap up. No, I feel great. I mean, I was just gonna say, like, I think the the mosaic is how I think of all of your your podcasts and all of our commentary is just. We all come from such different perspectives, but have so much to contribute. And I I thank you for giving us this platform to just share our professional experience and our personal experience. And we have so much left to learn, but I think we're like moving our generation in the right direction of like, I, I know for myself and probably for Jeff too, and Sadie, I know for you, like, our parents don't talk about this stuff at all. <laughs> and that's why I was on the phone with my mom for an hour and a half, like, trying to, like, derail her, like, every 10 minutes. It's like, I'm just so grateful that we have each other and are making this more of a common topic that... Mm-hmm we talk about mental health and we talk about addiction and make it less taboo 
as it has always been because it's not taboo like most people have these things and yeah hope that we can talk more most people have these things but the people who have this these things are also conditioned to feel like fucking alone as shit and like they're the only one with these problems Mm -hmm. yeah but we're not like we have each other so hell yeah i think think the only (laughs) thing that that i would add fuck me up jeff I think this is this kind of goes to like the the last point we were talking about, as well as what you said, Evelyn. Is like, I think the destigmatization is super like is super important because, for example, like when I have an extra slice of pizza, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily thinking like, oh, my cholesterol, like I have family, like heart disease that runs in my family, it's gonna kill me. But if I'm having an extra slice of pizza every day, or like you know for my for like months at a time then i can like have that other piece of information mm-hmm. and put two and two together yeah. and kind of like change my behavior yeah. and i think talking about this with friends with family yeah. kind of does that where it's like yeah. it kind of reminds uh, it reminds us that like hey every now and then like it's okay to let things go you know but like we have to remember yeah who we are and what we're predisposed to like you know just remembering like i'm not gonna get diabetes from eating this extra pudding cup but like i do have trouble with like controlling my food intake better keep that in mind and if i eat 1000 pudding cups i might get diabetes (laughs) i like both for like us and future generations Mm -hmm. and like past generations right like everyone alive and dead right now you know get in on this podcast yeah I mean, that is like my bread and butter in my career. Like I am a genetic counselor for a reason. I think family history is like really, really important. And thinking about not just yourself, but what those people who have come before you and you're not a victim of your family history. You are not destined by your family history, but they can give you some clues about aspects of your health or your mental health that you should pay attention to. like maybe don't eat those thousand pudding cups and yeah. you know three bottles of bourbon yeah maybe don't eat those thousand pudding cups. Yeah. <laughs> 999 is fine but, yeah. yeah 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 that's fine that's fine <laughs> or one pudding cup is, is too many and a thousand is never enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> As you guys know, I am with gratitude, and I am extremely grateful for having both of you on the show. There have been multiple times where I just wanted to scream, my friends are so fucking smart, (laughs) Uh, and that applies to both of you, and the, like, 15 of you that I've I've had on the show, this was... This is my first uh, three-person uh, podcast for, for this podcast. And I'm like, shit, I need to figure out more combinations like this because this is really cool to see yeah. uh, people yeah. bounce yeah. off each other and have slightly different uh, experiences. And like that, that is very much like the like part of the mission statement of this is different things work for different people. And that is why I'm listening to all these different people. And then the conversation becomes so much more like dynamic when we have yeah. these varying perspectives um and having three people it's not as overwhelming as i thought and has doesn't really impacted the the time of recording as much as i thought so that's really cool i'm really grateful for that my uh 
non-you guys related gratitude is fuck you would think i'd start thinking of these before i record <laughs> but it catches you by surprise it catches I, me by surprise every time fuck i was sending you what this is my 17th recording and i still am a fucking still not you're doing great um <laughs> oh i am grateful that i uh personally know people who are notaries specifically my friend mary because my id expired like in august like <laughs> months ago and like i got like the photo card thing in the mail and then lost it and then if you lose it you can and like instead of paying like both like that like all like 35 or whatever like if you just want to play five dollars you can replace the photo card but you have to get it notarized but if you go to a notary you need an id that is not expired <laughs> but right. Right. but one of the powers of a notary is if you actually know the person they could just do it you can just do it <laughs> so there is like that's a that's a horrible paradox um that is just baked to, into our system which you is need to know a notary person which is kind of the problem with like all of the systems that we exist in is it's just <laughs> all these traps where it's like come on i need an id to get an id that makes no sense um so i'm grateful uh that my friend was tweeting about notary problems and i was like wait hold on like <laughs> like i need you um cool uh does one of you uh since i start with emily and jeff uh what are you grateful for um geez you know now that we're talking about it like after this this whole conversation by the way i agree putting like, cups this went by really fast this, yeah yeah not that it was slow the other time but like no wow um i am grateful for for putting cups but more than that um i think lately i've been i don't know why i've been like fixated on time my age the passage of time um i'm very grateful for my health like right now, just like knowing my family history of like health and you know, substance <laughs> abuse, and just it was a love. I, I I gave I gave Jeff loving middle fingers because I oh, have, yeah. I'm having yeah, I mean, I'm having health issues. I mean, I I desperately <laughs> and we are this we are the same life. age. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I love. Yeah, I didn't I didn't mean it like that. that I know <laughs> I know I'm just playing. Ah, uh, uh, all right. No, like um, like this is just for you, not the audience. <laughs> oh. Oh, um, but yeah, I'm also grateful for, for the two of you, you know, thank you for having me on Sadie, like last Emily. So like, it's so cool to see your perspective. I've never like heard from a strong, like scientific, like especially genetic perspective on this topic. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. My camera is like very. Yeah. Sloppy. I don't know what happened. <laughs> um, it was having, fine. Like for the last a, hour. A very bad thunderstorm right now. So I think uh, that might be part yeah. of the reason. Yes. Um, but I will say I'm very grateful for the two of you because I, I know this is a very tough conversation to have, especially from a professional background and a personal background and just it felt like such a safe space for me. This is something that has been hard for me to talk about previously. So very grateful for the two of you. 
And uh, also really grateful to have a summer thunderstorm. <laughs> and I feel like we're getting towards the the end of seasonal depression, which I know yes. Sadie and I are huge victims of. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the thing uh, I was telling Jeff this before the episode is yesterday, Emily, you texted me um, like, because this is something that has been rescheduled. We've been working on this for like, weeks <laughs> um yeah the the original date like on the top of the document is 212 yeah. um <laughs> right now it is 319 yeah um, it just we had some bad brains yeah this is <laughs> bad brain. yeah. this is maybe the third date that we had picked out um and yeah like mental health issues being a big part of those cancellations which is obviously like fine oh, yeah. and expected yep. um but oh, what's funny i can't is... believe you're rescheduling your mental health podcast for <laughs> mental health reasons yeah oh. <laughs> you had bad brain days what the hell but what like <laughs> but what's funny is and this isn't just with you either with with you two is man this got a lot easier more easy to schedule when like daylight savings happened mm-hmm. and, the, and it's been nicer yeah. out. it's just so funny how just like the weather got better and the scheduling of my mental health podcast <laughs> just came just like did so easy you know how many episodes i recorded last weekend three <laughs> <laughs> because like the sun was out and we all yeah. felt happy again <laughs> like i recorded two in a day and then the next yeah. day i recorded another one <laughs> and you have long covid so that really says something. <laughs> yes, because I it's hard for me to do shit. It sucks. Cool. Um, all right. So that sounds like an episode. If you want to follow the podcast on Twitter for some reason, I don't really, I'm not really good at the, the Twitter. Um, it's clown hospital BB, uh, like Bebe. Um pod was was too long and clown hospital was taken um i don't know why i didn't do 69 i should maybe change it to 69 um but i can't because the the gap between when the episodes come out yeah don't don't change it's it's too long um but um if you want to follow us on instagram um it's clown hospital pod if you want to send me an unhinged email it is clown hospital pod at gmail.com if you want to give me a call it's six, just kidding all right and um i none of these episodes have been out yet but I, i've been changing the ending a little bit of I've, I've made it a little more heartfelt um so uh to end i'm just gonna say thank you for both of you coming on and I'll remind everyone that this podcast is dedicated to everyone who has did not live long enough to get a chance to heal. Yeah. And may we heal in their honor. Thank you and goodbye. Absolutely. Thanks, Sadie.